Welcome back to Pretty Little Grown Men. I'm David Greenwald. I'm Domus Nicola. Hello, and, welcome. And and today we're talking about uh, Season 5, Episode 16, Fresh Meat. Yeah, with a capital A, I would assume. Oh, you know, we were we were wondering what this title was, because there's so many food things in the episode, but I realized it's the teddy bear yeah. that Hannah has that spills organs. <laughs> or, you know spills uh that that rural gentleman's barbecue right before we started recording we were just talking about the scene in which hannah goes to the trailer park to look for holbrook naturally yeah and uh you know what i realized um as we were discussing the scene was that there are a lot of instances on the show when the liars go to like what would essentially be like redneck places and they're dressed up in their fancy rich kid dubs. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And you know, I, and you know, it's it's very classic liars to not change themselves for whatever situation they're in, um, unless it's like a fancy party where they have to dress up. But uh, they go, to, they go like when they're like, oh, let's go to the horse stables, or let's go to this like redneck uh, uh, trailer park. It's like they 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 don't even like change their footwear. Like, Hannah right. is still wearing the same high heels that she was wearing when she was going uh, visiting, walking. Yeah, visiting college. Visiting college. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. And I think it does speak to, like, the sort of level of privilege on the show where everyone <laughs> basically is kind of rich and can has lawyer moms and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess Hannah has been, you know, we've sort of seen class struggle with Hannah's mom, who's like trying to provide yeah. and be the breadwinner and gotten herself into trouble over money and having to like project this particular image. Even, and I mean, we discussed the pilot episode when she uh, has, uh, does it with Wilden uh, simply for the sake of keeping face in town. Right. You know? Absolutely. You know, and she's basically supporting. Hannah and herself in this fancy house, in this fancy neighborhood, um, does it, is willing to have sex with this skeezy fucking detective all for the sake of just basically not making sure that the neighbors don't think that she is, like, poor. Which brings us back around to this episode <laughs> uh, when Ms. Marin is out doing some more funny business. Oh, uh, she sleeps with Jason. Yes. Which is crazy and kind of a welcome pivot from the show's tendency to have older men get with younger women. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Uh, except, I mean, it makes you wonder about about these uh, these age dynamics, which the show is is constantly approaching. Uh, But because in this case, uh, something that we that we discussed was the fact that it's obvious that Jason Jason manipulated the situation. He made the situation happen. Um, it doesn't speak well about uh, Mrs. Marin's, um, I don't know, ability to sort of like see into the duplicitousness of, of, of I don't know, men in general, right. I guess. Right. Well, and the show, you know, we haven't seen her boyfriend, the minister, uh, in quite some time, and he mm-hmm. he seemed pretty smitten with her when he was appearing on the show. Uh, and Hannah explicitly states during her college visit, she's talking to this girl who's leading her around, who's like this weird sort of sort of faux Mona character, mm-hmm. uh, who Hannah is very bored by, which I thought was funny. FOMO. But she she says directly, you know, my mom is dating a minister. Yeah. And then her mom 
suddenly is not dating a minister. Yeah, you know, I. what about this situation is so appealing to Mrs. Marin? Is it really just, is it vanity? Is she just, like, so taken with this young hunk that she's willing to forego one of the first great relationships that she's ever had? Right, but a relationship where we haven't really seen it on the show, and he seems absent, and he seems to not be providing that... Um, level of intimacy. Well, that's the funny thing about this show is usually if we don't see a relationship happen, we assume that it's good because the only times we ever see relationships actually go through relationship motions is when something bad is happening. Right, right. That's true. Um, which uh, is the case with Spencer and Toby in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we're, we're, we're sort of just jumping around here. This, uh, all in all, this episode was uh, very jarring I felt it I, I thought this was a great episode. This mm-hmm. was my favorite in a while, actually, mm-hmm. because it presented um, the characters really kind of spiraling out of control and entering these almost sitcom situations, yeah. like where Emily, you know, working at the copy shop, which somehow Ezra has taken over and is turning into a bookshop and doing some kind of promotional event, which was very confusing to me. Yeah, okay, so let's... let's I, I did yeah. not understand that Yeah, I think... So we eventually realized that last week when we thought it was, like, Ezra moving into a new his, like, new house or something. Oh, right. Remember, like, we were like, oh, he's, like, remodeling his mansion or right. something. Right, right. Um, but uh, we discovered that it's he's actually, I think, turning the coffee shop into a coffee shop slash bookstore. Right. Um... Because, and this was never explained, which kudos to the show for not like hitting us over the head with this, but uh, I think after the whole rigmarole with Arya's mom's uh, failed second marriage. Right, her fiancé. Her fiancé that like he basically got like, I don't know, run out of town, I don't know, with pitchforks or something. And then so that meant that the coffee shop was open and Ezra swooped in with all of his money bought the place, and wants to convert it into some sort of hipster bookstore. Uh, even hired some sort of hipster contractor who doesn't know, know how to use a fucking level. Like, <laughs> right. Remember well, that? He was clearly, he's clearly flirting. <laughs> yeah. He's clearly but... just flirting with our, with the boss's girlfriend. <laughs> like you do on Pretty Little Liars. I actually found, you know, of course the show has to bring in some new blood once in a while. And I think the last few episodes, all of the... You know, we've noticed, like in the Christmas episode, all of these ships are very sturdy. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it's healthy and interesting for the show to be shaking those up. So, of mm-hmm. course, they bring in, you know, some some hot young guy who's like, oh, by the way, Spencer, I'm going to move into your backyard or whatever because your parents, like, need the money for some reason, <laughs> despite them both being, like, Ivy League lawyers. Yeah. And it's just like, wait a minute, why does that, why does that not make sense whatsoever? Because the Hastings family does not need money. You know the one thing the Hastings family doesn't need? Money. Dollar signs. I would, I would imagine the Hastings family is doing all right. Melissa is also like fucking just, you know, just gallivanting around Europe, whatever the fuck she's doing. Right. Well, which is sort of like the funny thing about um, Emily needing money and being desperate for money. And, you know, I think obviously that's sort of her uh, taking out her frustration on Paige leaving mm-hmm. and just, you know, kind of projecting it onto, I need to get a plane ticket and I need to go see her. I need to try and fix it, you know, yeah. um, which I thought was really good writing. Uh, well, but it's such a, it's such a, it's such a teenager thing to be so 
laser focused on something that almost seems irrelevant. Like your relationship isn't failing because you can't get a plane ticket to California. Right, right, you know? right, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I thought that was like sort of a nice soap opera type or sitcom-y situation for her to be mm-hmm. in. Like, I have to earn money so I can go see my girlfriend. And so I'm going to cook these, and these, you know, I'm going to cook empanadas. The, I'm going to cook these empanadas. And I thought that was like, okay, this is life after A. Yeah. And what I thought was interesting. Yeah, that's true, yeah. What I thought was kind of interesting about this episode is it does not lower the tension whatsoever mm-hmm. for these girls that it is life after A. Aria is spazzing out about college. Emily is spazzing out about Paige. Like, yeah. they are both on the verge of, like, complete meltdown. What was Emily trying to make with those grapes? She was trying to make, like, a... Goat cheese, yeah. goat cheese. She was trying grapes. to stuff. Okay, really? Oh. Mm-hmm. That's it. Which, which Why was she having such a fucking hard time with it? Well, not, it was hard to get it in little holes. Not not everyone. <laughs> not everyone. We have some. We have some. Uh, some peanut gallery oh, on yeah. the show tonight. Okay. Yeah, we have uh, Sarah and Hillary here. Um, also, uh, Pretty Little Liars fans. I don't know if they're going to be clear on the on the broadcast, but they're they're here listening in. We have a live studio audience. Yeah. Here on Pretty Little Grown Men. <laughs> Pretty Little Grown Men is filmed before a live studio audience. Um, okay, well, if that if she was just trying to fill grapes, I mean, that was, I, I liked that scene where it was uh, cutting rapidly between uh, Emily's frustration in filling grapes with goat cheese and Arya's frustration in trying to figure out what Talmadge could possibly want out of her. Right. And that was such an insane... I mean, that was such a... I was sitting there looking at the TV like, Arya, you were so dumb. Yeah. You were so dumb. And it's like, it doesn't occur to her, you know, geez, I didn't get into all these colleges and A's in jail. Maybe I should go to community college for a couple for a year and transfer, yeah. you know, like a reasonable person would do. Like, fix your grades, get your shit together. Mm-hmm. But she is so desperate to get out. And it's also like, what about your boyfriend? Like, why are you in such a rush? Why are you freaking out so much? That was such a strange uh, explanation that she had, too, when, you know, she goes to Emily, who's on three hours of sleep, still looking gorgeous, and uh, is like, here's the letter that I was going to send the admissions officer at Talmadge, who also happens to be Ezra's ex, And, and Emily's like, this is really hurtful towards Ezra, um, not that it isn't true. Like, that's the funny thing is when she's oh, reading it, sure. you're like, this is obviously fucking true. Right. Um, and and Arya's response is, but I'll, I'll get in the college and I can take it back. It's like, what do you mean take it back? Like, well, go to Ezra and be like, none of it's true. You know that I was just manipulating the situation. Well, pres- presumably he would never see it. Right. Right. But then we get to the, sh- the twist of the show, which is that in Ezra's bookstore, there is a college guide and a bookmark with, the, with a quote from her letter. Mm-hmm. And it's like... How does that happen? Is it A? Is it Ezra being creepy, which is not unreasonable? Is it his ex-girlfriend who's like, who should not be texting uh, Arya, by the way, and be like, girl, you got in. Yeah, what up, like, girl? This show has had a... What up, girl? You're in now. She I mean, called her girl. She was like, hey, girl, you're in. You're yeah, in, girl. it's just, I don't know. I mean, maybe they do things differently at these fancy private schools. Uh, but... Well, it was it that was like really it was like it was like shared girl power over Ezra hating, right? Which, hey, sign me up. I want to get on board with the Ezra hating. I want to get it on this email chain. 
It's true. It's true. I'm down with that. But yeah, it was very confusing. And it's like there's no A appearance per se in the episode. Mm -hmm. And yet you have Arya looking for A and everything. Like, this isn't my fault. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, And of course, there's no mention of like the missing computer. Uh, Right. And Caleb is not concerned about it because now... Yeah, Caleb is crazy suspicious. Let's talk about the Caleb story. Okay, well... um, Yeah, you're right. So... Toby, uh, Toby, Officer Toby is uh, Officer Toby. Yeah, is out is out in the uh, um, behind Mona's. You know, the cops apparently uh, months later are still like doing the most basic fucking investigation of Mona's house. Yeah, just looking around. <laughs> just, just just checking it out, just in case. <laughs> so Toby's looking around in like, the woods. Literally three months later. Yeah, they're still just searching the woods uh, behind Mona's house finds a uh, knife that belongs to his family and he panics apparently and leaves it and then he goes and tells uh, I don't know why he decides to tell Caleb and Spencer because he believes that they're most they're the most reasonable people why, out why is Caleb there right why is he hanging out but, well I guess because he's bros with Toby I guess they're like super bros why would he be at and his, yeah, I don't know. It right, it's make, like it's a weird solution. I mean, I guess it's like I, 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 we could make the leap and assume that the the people that Toby trusts most are Spencer and Caleb. Sure, fair. Okay, let's let's go with that because otherwise it's mad confusing, <laughs> and <laughs> I don't want to like sort of say. I feel like a lot of my reactions to the show lately have been like I don't understand what's going on, <laughs> um, and you know fair I think enough. part of that, part of that is from like the show sort of skipping over months of time and just being like eh, this is how it is. Just just go with it. Well, you know, which, which is fine, but yeah. it's also just like I'm having a hard time keeping up. Well, uh, yeah, and I'll and we literally do a podcast about the show, so I should not be having this much trouble like understanding that Ezra bought the book the bookstore. Or well, no, but you know what's become a, a real um, uh, standard on the show is that the first five minutes of the show of each episode are devoted to uh, like Gilmore Girls style. Uh, repartee about the 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 plot so far, where they're basically just like, but then this happened. But why would this happen? Oh, because this happened. But why wouldn't you do this? Oh, because of this. And it's like there's five minutes of like real exposition before, uh, basically like the rest of the episode happens. Right. Um, but anyway, so back to the story with the knife. So uh, Toby comes and tells Spencer and Caleb that he found this knife. Um, and then basically they, uh, they decide that, um, what's, what's best is to just leave the knife there because either it was planted by A and is going to have evidence against somebody, uh, for Mona's murder, or, uh, it has evidence that Allie killed Mona, but either way, it's not going to look good, uh, based on the situation, for them to actually like, get the knife. Well, as Toby says, it's a gamble. And he says, I thought this was really one of the kind of the best moments of the show, honestly, because uh, even though Caleb seems like suspiciously heated about it, yeah. you have two perspectives. You have uh, on one side, this is the right thing to do. We should collect the evidence and put it through the police force, mm-hmm. of which I am a member. You know, <laughs> uh, let the justice system work. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's it could be an A plant. So let's assume it is an A plant mm-hmm. versus the fact that like 
you found a bloody knife on Mona's property, but why would it be Toby's? Who would have taken it from Toby's house? Okay, can we stop for a second? What now about Jenna? But now that I'm thinking about how Toby is so, you know, I mean, he's a police officer, so yeah. But he's so willing to trust the the, the police department. Um, I mean, he, he basically entered the police department almost in a way to, like, infiltrate it. Sure. And, but, and... Have we forgotten that his house was exploded and right. he didn't he like didn't trust the cops at all when that happened? Right. Well, what I didn't understand was if you're Toby, wouldn't you say I'm going to go back and pick up this knife and I'm going to run it into the evidence room and I'm going to get it tested and I'm just going to not enter it, you know, in this I'm just going to sort of keep it out of the way of mm-hmm. the, of that this particular case mm-hmm. and just figure it out. Yeah. You know, and, and find out the information. Like, why would you not, why would that seem so unreasonable to, right. for him to do, you know? Right. Yeah. And and then, of course, like anything on the show, uh, uh, Spencer and Caleb decide to go get the knife because, of course, they do. And then they decide that the, the, best, the, the best thing for all uh, parties involved is to destroy the knife. But instead of which is hilarious, instead of what just else, that's like, a great idea. Let's like, let's destroy this bloody knife. Yeah. Instead of like, huh? Maybe we should actually take a DNA test of this blood and like see whose blood it is. Right. Maybe that would be a good idea. Or like, if if you really really want to get rid of it, like Sarah, like you were saying, just like run it through the fucking dishwasher or something. Right. Like, right. Clean it. Right. Exactly. So exactly. they decide to destroy it by taking it to the school kiln, which no. happens to be a big fucking room, and. And <laughs> and just like lock, yeah. So they're like, well, we don't know how to work this kiln, but we can figure it out enough to destroy evidence of murder. Right, and <laughs> right. Unbelievable. And then, and then, which you can see happening from a mile away, is you know that one of them is going to get stuck in that kiln. Sure. But what was crazy about all this, and this is a point that I that I just realized, is that you know we don't see a. I would like to imagine a Pretty Little Liars where the liars actually learn that A is omniscient and so act accordingly because mm-hmm. they have cell phone conversations, emails written, uh, using, uh, I don't know, blast furnaces without any caution towards the fact that A is probably going to trap them and manipulate these situations to the benefit of hurting them. Like, right. you know, it's like, why would you use a giant kiln? You know that A is going to just be, like, hanging out, waiting for you to do this stupid thing. Sure. Well, and I think one of the conceits of the show is that the characters don't realize they're in a formulaic teen drama, <laughs> you know, where there's going to be there's going to be an A sequence every episode where someone, like, gets put into a dangerous situation. Yeah. You know, a, a fearsome situation. But the thing that I don't get... Ari's got a rape whistle now, though. Well, there you go. And, you know, that, and that was a great thing, but that was, like, the first evidence we've seen in the show ever... You know, Arya's actually been very proactive, like, taking self-defense classes, mm-hmm. you know, much more so than the other girls who are just like, mm, whatever. Yeah. I don't, I don't really like how, and, and I'm, I'm on board with this episode, I, I enjoyed it, uh, but I don't really like how all of the major questions from the last episode were just totally fucking dropped. I don't, I don't like the fact that uh, a computer was stolen, and we just don't, don't care right. about that anymore, right. or that uh, Arya was, 
you know, embarking upon a career in coding that she's just not doing anymore. <laughs> yeah, she's just kind of a, she's just kind of, well, you know, she has bigger fish to fry, I guess. Yeah. Um, but the thing that sort of was interesting to me about this episode is that A does not take credit for A's work, mm-hmm. uh, which A likes to do. Right. And we don't even see at the end when Allison gets a note passed to her in jail, we do not see an A tag. You know, we don't see yeah. a signature. We just see a right. note that says your friends are going to see you soon. Yeah, that was that's a really weird moment. Um, it felt it felt really strangely, and maybe you disagree, but it felt really strangely anticlimactic at the end of the episode. I I think so. It didn't feel sort of like the suspenseful thrill of like the the A sequence we usually get with a person in a hoodie doing something ominous. Yeah. You know, it's just Allison in jail, and I wonder if the message there by showing her in jail at the end of the, these last two episodes, hey, Allison is A. We are showing you A at the end of mm-hmm. the episode, um, which would, would make sense. And she does not have like a, a scared look on her face at the end. She's like, oh, good. My minions are doing their work. Yeah, she sort is, of has a blank expression. Yeah. I mean, and she makes a good point. So uh, uh, we already have talked about how uh, Hannah went to go find Holbrook. So Hannah is sort of being fed information while she's um, out on her college visit, which uh, Hannah, secret genius... Yes, this was this is one of the things I like about the show in part because it's a plot line kind of borrowed from the OC and I'm sure other teen shows, but mm-hmm. where in f- season four, Summer Roberts, the ditziest girl in school, is suddenly like, oh yeah, I got into Brown, secret genius, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is which is a plot line I really I like on the show. I find it to be subversive and and um, you know, especially with Hannah as like as a, as a blonde. You know, mm-hmm. who, who, who could play into these particular stereotypes, you know, the fashionista, whatever. Um, but yeah, she got into all these schools and everyone else, it's, every, all the other liars are like, what schools did you get into? And Hannah's just like, whatever, yo. Yeah. Secret genius. Yeah. Yeah. And all the, all the liars are constantly like, seriously, how many schools did you get into? Right. And Hannah's like, I don't know. I lost I, count. I also like that when Arya is freaking out about her college stuff and says, I didn't get in anywhere. Why doesn't Emily say, well, uh, how are your crates, Arya? Yeah. Are they kind of shitty? Because I'm guessing they're kind of shitty, just like the rest of our Well, everyone's are. afraid to approach Arya about it because you know how she says that. She doesn't say, I didn't get into any college. She says, nobody wants me. Right. Which, right. fucking emo Arya. Right. And then Fitz is there to be like, that's not true, Arya. Someone wants you. I want you. Yeah. Remember me? Yeah. Remember me? I sacrificed... All of my reputation and possibly my life, because I could go to jail in order to be with you. He could still go to jail. Yeah. That is, um, unless we are assuming that she's 18 now, which may well be the case, but you would think that would have been sort of a more notable occurrence on the show for her to be like, oh, we can have like a public relationship now because I am an adult. That's in the, a great In the episode. eyes of the law. That would be a great episode, is the, the episode in which Arya turns 18. Right. Oh, well, I think the show just doesn't give a shit anymore. I think, <laughs> I think it, yeah. is, it has so normalized their relationship, which I think we both hate for both plot reasons and disgusting reasons. Mm-hmm. But it's not even... That's the thing, though. Is it's like... And, and we talked about this last episode, is their, their dynamic in their relationship has become so benign that... Either it's a red herring because Fitz, Fitz or possibly Arya are evil. Right. Or it, the show literally doesn't give a shit anymore. 
Yeah, I think I think number two is more likely, but I think we will see a return of Evil Fitz, and I think that bookmark uh, is potential evidence, fifty-fifty chance. It's a. Do you think it's him? It's him, and he knows about that email. It's not unreasonable to me. I mean, he planted her a cell phone once. Why would he not plant her to bug her laptop or whatever? You know, but yeah. the fact is, it is his ex-girlfriend, and he seems to know pretty well. Oh, hey, yeah, my ex-girlfriend's the admissions person at this college that I know you applied to. And she, her response was, "I don't talk to him anymore. I haven't been in contact with him forever." Yeah, I mean, it would not. So he be, knows a lot more about her than she does of him, for sure. So it would not be weird to me whatsoever that he is a completely nut stalker who is obsessed with his exes. Yeah, you know. And is obsessed with Arya and is tracking everything she does. And, you know, these habits don't just disappear. Like, the fact that he was like that for years, he's not just going to just flip his laptop off and put his cameras away and be like, well, guess I'm going to put away my Superman cape and just go back to regular daily life. You know? Like, you become... He would have become an adrenaline junkie, Mm -hmm. you know, from doing that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And that would not be something where he would just be like, well, guess I'll just be a spoiled rich dude with a teenage girlfriend. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see that as a realistic character arc. I'm going to just throw my bookstore parties where I'm going to, you know, plant books bookmark clues next to the Great Chocolate Brownie Murders or whatever that book was called. Was that, was that the oh, book yeah. that was sitting next to the, the college directory? Yeah. It was like the, the Great Brownie, Chocolate Brownie Stories or something. Because that's what—that's the kind of book that you want to have sitting in your your foyer when you have a fancy bookstore party. Yeah, fancy opening opening night. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought that was a nice. I thought that was an interesting open ended segment. Yeah. Um, we should probably talk about um, Allison uh, and and wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so Hannah goes to see Allison in jail, and is like super cold and awesome, and I love that scene. Mm-hmm. And Allison, Allison's in this very interesting position because everything she says could either be, well, you're saying this because you're A and you're trying to blackmail me, or you act, she actually is innocent and she's telling the truth. Now, yeah. knowing Allison, I think part of both of those things is the case. Yeah, because Allison does say if I, and this is, you know, classic, just like a classic line, which is like, if I was A, why would I put myself in this situation? Right. And it's, and the funny thing is, is it'd be like Mona at Radley, which is like, you're running this fucking place. Exactly. Because, <laughs> because Allison, it's like, do you think that Hannah would have been like, hey, why they, why did you just allow me in your prison cell? I Like, shouldn't we go into like the visitor's room or something to talk about this? I mean, the fact is there's no hard evidence connecting Allison with the murder, except for a video that depicts a blonde woman and mm-hmm. the fact that she has no alibi. Um, she was waiting for this other crazy dude who, who contacted her, according to her version of the story. Yeah. Um, so the implication from Allison is, well, this guy probably went out, uh, this guy's working with A or is A and went out and killed Mona. You know? mm-hmm. And she was set up, which is like, no, you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> you absolutely were not set up. Yeah, which, okay, so, you know, so Allison is still dubious no matter what's going on. She, she knows something, something's happening, it's, it's, it's strange, but I don't think that we've talked enough about Jason in this episode. Sure. 
uh, who is just like on top of his manipulative game. Um, he is basically taking over the family estate, I guess, from his mom. Right. Um, because, you know, Mr. De Laurentiis is still just not around. Just conveniently not around. Just, yeah, super conveniently, which is a bother. Um, and uh, so st- still has Mrs. Marin working for him, even though he knows that Mrs. Marin is looking for new employment opportunities because she's using <laughs> company resources to fax to out her fax resume. Her resume. <laughs> <laughs> well, very so, open about that. And so why? And so why would he do this, right? And I think you know, right? The, so the, why? Why would he basically? Why would? And 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 you know, the 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 moral of the story is that uh, Jason fucked Hannah's mom. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think we can Unless say they that they just got naked and cuddled. Oh, yeah, this seems unlikely. <laughs> a hearty young buck, like a hearty young buck, like Jason. Um, yeah. But you know. <laughs> We know that Jason is really sketchy. He's disappeared. He's lied. Uh, he hates his sister. He has an alibi for the night that Allison disappeared and the night Bethany Young was killed. Yeah. Um, we still don't really understand his connection to the NAT club uh, or to Cece, who allegedly yeah. dumped him and bailed. Uh, and Cece is obviously in deep and is a straight up murderous psychopath. Would you think that? Do you think that they're still in contact? Like secretly in contact, I think that's a big. If if they are, that's a huge revelation, you know. Yeah. Because I think Cece is. She's still around. She's lurking around. I think she most. She probably killed Mona. Do you think she, that that apartment in Philadelphia was shared by them? Oh, that's a good question. Remember that like, seems yeah. that seems reasonable, but yeah, I don't know. I think I think really the show comes down to the relationship between Melissa. And Jason and Cece. I, I think agree. that I think a lot is going to hinge on that. And I think yeah. in this episode we see Jason making a move and keeping this person who was close to his mom, who he thinks can keep a secret, mm-hmm. he wants to put her bring her in and have her be there to guard whatever nastiness gets discovered in his mom's records. This is this is heartbreaking to me because I really wanted Jason to be a good person and this episode proved that he's not in my mind. I agree. And I would like for for Mrs. Marin to be had to settle down and have her her minister boyfriend and like not get into any more trouble because she's been through a lot in the show. What is what is Hannah going to do now? She basically knows that her mom, you know, boinked Jason and so what like what what does that mean? Well, it puts her, you know, I think one of the things this episode did and last episode sort of too is it lays the groundwork for this fresh round of lies for the liars to sort of get sucked up in and to continue their bad habits and not break the cycle. Um yeah. Arya has this lie about Ezra mm-hmm. that she uses to get into college. Uh Hannah's going to have to either lie about her mom or deal with it or her, you know, something. Um, you know, there's now's, a lot going on here. Now's a time when I think that we can like start to see, you know, the the show has diverged so wholly from the course of the books that I wonder if there's going to be sort of a reintroduction of certain plot elements from the books into the series. Mm-hmm. And you know, with this like strange uh, email, I, I guess like 
paper trail that Arya is creating about um, sort of uh, her relationship with Fitz and how that's she's painting it in a negative light. Do you oh. wonder, like, that... Because in the books, I, I think in the books, Fitz goes to jail. Right. For his relationship with Arya. Right. And uh, I wonder if he's going to... He, he is going to become... He's going to get in trouble because Arya's uh, negative allegations are going to become public knowledge. Maybe she isn't... And, and people are going to be, going to become aware of the fact that they had a relationship when she was... 16 17 years old sure i yeah and i mean again i think i think fitz is sort of the sleeping dragon of the show i think he has a lot of information we haven't seen i think he could potentially continue to be a crazy person um so he is and he had a deep relationship with mona Mm -hmm. so i think there is a lot left uh to be untangled with fitz and i think you're absolutely right like that could be blackmailing of Fitz is definitely like a plot point that will probably play out the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to, uh, uh, the, probably the best scene in the whole, sh- in the, the whole episode, uh, Hannah going to the trailer park. Um, there's a few things that there were strange things that happened besides the fact that she was wearing, Somehow she, her white pants came out unstained, which is surprising. Yeah, after the, the weird. Also, like she pulled like her, she basically had like entrails fall on her. Didn't even mess up her white pants. Yeah, well, that's good. That's impressive. Good for but, her. But um, number one, why did that happen? Number two, uh, Holbrook's dad mistook her for Allison, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, so it makes you wonder which what's means, going on there. Well, which means Allie has been like at this guy's trailer park, like hooking up with Holbrook, like this, that sort of brought us into this whole new level of weirdness. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that they're kind of going all in with the idea that, yeah, Holbrook is corrupt and he's working with Allie, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I, I did enjoy the setting up of the atmosphere of the trailer park. You know, it's like whenever you whenever you watch a movie and they want to paint a picture of a like a, a poor area, and so you hear crying babies all the time in the background, and they're like, "Oh, we must be in a poor neighborhood." Uh, when you're in a trailer park and they have some guy randomly. Using a butcher knife to cut up entrails, you're like, oh, must must be in a trailer park, right? right. <laughs> yeah, it it was very like, let's go in, let's like sneak into this sort of weird, gross world that we've never been to. It's like Rob before. Zombie's trailer park, right? Well, and then of course, someone like goes out, opens the doors to the car, puts the meat in this teddy bear, <laughs> and it's like. Was that a legit someone from the trailer park trying to scare the rich girl? Or was that like an A thing, but A doesn't take credit again? So there's so much like gray area. And you got this creepy kid, creepy red rum kid, uh, who must be Holbrook's brother. Right. You know? His little brother. His little brother. Which is, you know, what's going on there? Where, just... Whereas Holbrook seems like very like... You know, urbane and sophisticated, and mm-hmm. like a detective. You know, he's made something of himself. Uh, but you he know. did reveal his true colors at the Christmas dance, though. He, he got he got he got pretty, uh, you know, torn up out there. How's how's that? In the Chris in the Christmas dance when he was getting all that that was Holbrook, right? Getting all drunk and shit. I suppose. But yeah, like just 
Yeah. Making out with Allie in public. Yeah, just being like bad move. Being being a member of the police department who is at this like high school dance. Getting yeah. Wasted. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty sloppy. <laughs> pretty sloppy. <laughs> but yeah, but that whole scene. It was awfully strange. It felt like it really set up a lot. There was a lot going on there. Um, besides... The... I mean, if you're if you're Hannah, and you have this... Hannah's first instinct, which is... I think the show has shown, shown us this time and again, so I appreciate that they kind of have followed through. You know, of course she goes to confront Allison, mm-hmm. and she brings up the knife, and she brings up all this stuff. She brings up Holbrook. You know, and she's like, let me just lay all my cards out on the table because that's how I'm going to solve the crime is yeah. by making the other person like realize that I know what's going on and like spill the rest of the beans. And of course yeah. it like never works. Mm-hmm. It's always just like, oh, you let like let your hand slip. Like yeah. you let on that you know some stuff, but you don't actually know. Right. And that just gives the advantage back to Allison. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that that's sort of her, you know, her MO and she does it every time. Right. It's... Well, and that's why when um, Caleb and Spencer get told about the knife, it's like Caleb is just going to do what he always. What he's just going to do what his girlfriend always does, which is just lie and just go do what he's going to want to do anyway. Like right. there's no second thought about consequences. And it's I, just like automatically do, go do this. And I did think it was deeply weird that he was suddenly like, "I'm going to panic about this." Because of like a previously unknown reason, and I might be connected to this knife somehow because I like touched it one time. Right. Yeah. That, that felt you're a right. little bit squishy. There's a there's a lot of other situations in which he could have been implicated in a in a much more salient manner than him possibly touching a knife. Well, is he not somehow more concerned that like Mona's computer is sitting in his room or whatever? <laughs> like, is that like not somehow going to be a bigger deal for you, Brown? That they like that you, that stole you have... evidence from from Mona's. Yeah, room. that somehow you acquired <laughs> Mona's supercomputer. Like, yeah, which I don't you know. May Very or may p- not still have possession of. Right, which maybe got stolen. <laughs> yeah, that there were that was very, you know, very puzzling, and I felt like handled in a little bit of a. You know, because you never know when the show is showing you something like this. It's like, is it suspicious or is it what it appears to be, right? Right. And if it's what it appears to be, it's like sort of sloppy drama. Well, that's the funny thing, too, is like, you know, talking about what it appears to be. So last week, Arya was in what we now realize was the, uh, the bookstore, and she was attacked by A... And uh, as Ezra and Toby are just like, or Ezra and her brother are just like have pieced out for some reason yeah. for really no no actual reason. Yeah, you know what? Uh, side note: Where is Mike this episode? I missed him. Yeah, I missed his biceps. Yeah, his his burgeoning manliness. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so so Arya references her attack in this episode, and she was basically like some I I don't even remember what the the. The specifics are, but it was something like uh, someone was like, "Well, why weren't you doing this?" And Arya's like, "Well, I was busy getting trapped and suffocating in translucent, uh, like tarps." Which, which is a good bit of banner, but also like that was like five minutes of your life, right? And then you didn't like make a big deal of it after. You're just like, "Oh, I got attacked by a whatever." You and you ripped, it, you ripped it down pretty quickly. Right. You know, like it's not like you were trapped and you were struggling behind this translucent tarp. You were you ripped it down as soon as a left the room right and it's like what happened to your self-defense class skills like why right. what why why are all of these girls not carrying a taser at all times 
times. Right. You know, how are they not more, well, you know, I suppose the show is never going to turn a corner to the point where like, they're actually prepared to deal with these things. Well, that's why, you know, it's when you say like, it's, it's either, uh, it's either, it's almost like it's either a red herring or, um, it, or it's either, it's not what it appears to be or it's something i guess but well, it, but that's the thing like that's a situation where it's like it appears to be one thing and then the the character is describing it in a completely different situation it's like we can go back and we can watch that situation right. and see that it is not a, it is not how it unfolded as you say that it did well i guess the trap that the show is in now after you know 5 and 5 seasons is that the characters can't actually learn anything to the point where they might actually foil an a plot you know <laughs> they have to sort of remain in this on this certain level of incompetence mm-hmm. but the longer they are incompetent and like are able to like you know have a whistle or something that shows like hmm maybe you've been dealing with like abuse for several years and you might actually have some ideas on yeah. how to deal with it like the more they sort of show the possibility of that the more awkward it becomes for them not to follow through a little bit more, you know, which is kind of one reason why the show needs to either be a little bit more inventive with its A situations or it needs to just like reveal A and solve the problem and kind of let these girls live out kind of a sitcom Gilmore Girls existence for a season or two, Mm -hmm. which I, you know, I think has a good chance of happening. Yeah. You know, it was really, it was really odd to see Emily in a very sitcom situation where she's like struggling to just, you know, make some stuff, some grapes with some goat cheese. Um, it was refreshing in a way to not, to, to, to approach these girls lives on, and on a level that doesn't feel, um, so dire second by second, because we have been deprived, you know, we've, we've spent so much time with these girls in a very, um, uh, illusory real time manner, you know, where it's just like one episode happens directly after the next episode, mm-hmm. and then suddenly we're three months ahead, and we're like, "But, but what happened during those three months?" Right. You know, and to to like exper- college applications, right? To to somewhat experience their lives in a way that the show implies their experience in it, which is that like not every single second of their day is spent worrying about a right right you know or i mean if anything less and less of their days are for for you know for better or for worse i and there was one point in this episode that kind of like felt like uh a bit enlightening for me which is when hannah calls uh no caleb calls hannah while she's getting the tour and caleb tells her what's going on with the knife and and hannah but before he tells her hannah makes a joke or a joke it's not a very funny joke but sure and she's like like why aren't you laughing that was a joke i just made and and caleb's like ah, i got my mind on other things and it felt like such a um it's it's funny because it's just like every interaction that we ever have between caleb and hannah is so loaded with portent and ominousness and danger and concern that you never actually imagine any of these people having a relationship where they're just like joking and they get each other's sense of humor. Right. You know, it's like, Oh, I guess we're just like, they like Hannah and Caleb must enjoy each other's company every once in a while. Right. You know, that their relationship isn't based on like fucking danger. Right. Right. And same for, for Spencer and Toby. 
Um, but I think one of the commentaries that the show is making is about abuse and the normalization of abuse and living mm-hmm. in fear and how these characters have just kind of accepted it. And yeah. it just becomes not a big deal to them because that's just what they expect and that's their way of life. And I think that's sort of one of the things the show is trying to say is like, this is a tragedy. This is what a cycle of abuse looks like is that it just becomes normal. It yeah. becomes not a big deal yeah. to have to live with this. Yeah. Um, and I hope the show shows the, these young women breaking out of it in a big way um, because if they don't, then it's pretty. It's a pretty dark message. Well, you know, speaking of breaking out of it, uh, one thing that we've totally not talked about is the dissolution of Spoby. Oh yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think their relationship always runs hot and cold, and like Toby has a lot of trust issues, and their relationship has been super weird from day one. Right. So I think that was a sort of standard Spoby craziness. I don't think it'll last for that long. Really? You don't think this is basically setting up to just, like, the great reveal that Toby is actually evil? No. I don't think so. Oh. I don't think that's out of the po- out of the possibility, but um, I don't think it's going to happen. What, what, what do you guys think? Do you think that Toby's evil? No, I think he's irritating. Oh, really? Yeah. You think he's good? Officer Toby? No. I mean, he seems pretty straight, like, straightforward. Yeah, but... Straight-laced... Like, He's 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 cut like a hero. I yeah yeah I think he's what got we're, the, the chin cleft like a hero. I think this episode was more just about like teenagers trying to set work life boundaries, <laughs> you know, and like not really having the language to communicate what they actually need from each other. Yet again, no one is com- is commenting on the fact that there's a 19 year old who's in the fucking police force. Well, yeah, it's Toby we're running the traffic beat. He should be in college, like he's college age, right? Like, I guess. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about if some what how old Toby is, and if someone his age is allowed to be a cop. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it feels it feels like that was maybe a little glossed over. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, if he is over age and Spencer is not, and he's a cop, then we have this whole other uh, issue, you know, that the show does not like to dwell on. Um, but Spencer yeah, doesn't I, seem concerned about college either, by the way. No, she seems, she's just floating along. She didn't get into Brown. It's just like, well, that happened. Yeah. She's yeah. Hastings. It'll work out. Yeah. That, that does feel like a weird thing, but it would also be maybe too much plot for her to be panicking about college at the same time Aria is. Mm-hmm. So I think it's being sort of moved, moved off of her plate for, for plot reasons, but um, you're right. That's something that should have been picked up on. And Emily seems like she's just basically just accepted the fact that she's stuck in Rosewood. Right. You know, she's right. like, I just need to raise. Not yeah. only so I can go see Paige, but yeah. so I can just like live in Rosewood. Well, I, you know, I hope more of this stuff unfolds because it's super interesting to me to see these characters sort of trying to move forward and not get some of them not getting to because they find a bloody knife in the ground and all these things. Yeah. Uh, and next week's episode, I, we watched the little teaser uh, and it seems like there's some, finally we're going to get to see some of the, the things Mona left behind, uh, which I think, you know, Mona being the super genius has, has is to be expected. Yeah. Uh, so that should sort of take us back deeper into mystery mode. But I do hope we get to see more 
you know, sort of aftermath and like more real teenage life unfolding because I think it's super fascinating. Yeah, I like I like it. I I want to see these girls, you know, go through the go through the the motions of trying to get into college. I like I like that part. I want I want to see them humanized. I don't want to see them act too adult. That's what's you know that's what's can be so stymied about this show is that they act like adults. And maybe that's kind of, you know, maybe that's kind of the show is like, if you act too much like an adult, you're going to kind of get put in your place, knocked down a peg or two, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, like Arya, I just think like, I still hold out hope that Arya thinking that she is mature enough to have a relationship with Fitz is she's going to be shown otherwise. Well, yeah, I don't see her and Fitz lasting. And I think this whole season, you know, I mean, she's recovering from sort of uh, killing a person. Yeah. Uh, and now she's dealing with college. And I think she's just been in panic mode for so much of the last, you know, few months of her life. And that's going to just continue. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I think she really, the fact that she's back with Fitz, is, I think, is a form of denial of like this person that you love that you sacrificed everything for betrayed you. Yep. You're and, right. You're and totally she right. is just saying, Nope, didn't happen. <laughs> uh, and so I think there's still, I think there's still, uh, something to be, I think there's still catharsis mm. that needs to be come out of that, which we have not seen. Yeah, um, all these but, girls are hitting, hitting a boiling point. Um, yeah, which I, I, I thought this episode was great. I look forward to seeing, uh, seeing next week and seeing the rest of the season unfold and hopefully not get too weird with psychics and ghosts and, you know, things like that. Yeah, they just let Mrs. Grunewald just let her go back to just Ravenswood. vanish into the mist. Yeah, uh, do we have anything else that we should discuss tonight? Uh, no, I think we covered everything. We're, we're drinking a brewski by um, The Commons, the urban farmhouse, which is very good if you let it get some air in it and warm up a bit. Yeah, uh, that was, yeah, I think that, I don't know if we have anything else to plug, um, besides our Twitter account, which is, you know, dragging along. <laughs> uh, at, at PLGM podcast on twitter.com. Uh, and as always, you can star us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. We're trying to catch up with, uh, the Gilmore Girls bro podcast <laughs> which got like a couple write-ups and they have all these twitter followers and uh, we're we're a little bit jealous of the attention yeah so, that they're getting from you know, the pros so, who uh, watch a tv show slate or the atlantic or vulture the atlantic the atlantic wrote about them yeah but you know slate man you you haven't written about a podcast that has you know middle-aged men talking about Middle age. Teen, teen girl shows. <laughs> yeah, if there are thirty right, thirty is the new forty five. That's yeah. <laughs> if, if there are if there are content content providing websites uh, that would like to write about a, a fascinating podcast by a couple of handsome handsome young men uh, who are dwelling too much about the existential crisis and mystery elements of a show that's basically about cute boys. Uh, you know, yeah. you are welcome to get in touch with us at PLGM Podcast. Yeah, do you, do you find it, um, before we go, uh, a personal question, do you find it insulting that, so I... Uh, I'm, I'm worried, I'm concerned about this line of questioning. I, I pitched writing about Pretty Little Liars to Paste, uh-huh. um, which for uh, 
the few listeners that we have, I, I, I work for Paste, and they did not think that that was a good idea. They huh. told me that, that their main demographic would not find that interesting. And this is, I mean, they write about all kinds of shows. Sure. Um, and so I was a little taken aback by that. Well, I mean, they probably would see it, and I think lots of places would see it as akin to writing about Justin Bieber or something like that. And actually, Troyan, uh, who plays Spencer, wrote an editorial in The Hollywood Reporter pretty recently that was basically like, hey, this is a really smart show, and you should take it seriously just because it's about teenage girls yeah. does not mean it's not worthy of like the Golden Globes or of award consideration or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think we see this all the time with sort of the uh, things that are considered to be a genre, um, a comedy or a sci-fi film or a superhero movie or a teen girl show. Somehow these things are considered to be other as if the default is shows about adult white men. Right. You know? You're right. Yeah. And that's, or, or adult white men and women having like divorce drama Mm -hmm. or having historical occurrences happen to them. Like somehow those are the only things that are allowed to be really seriously considered as art. Yeah. And that's obviously like, really stupid and dumb well and i guess partly i don't understand also uh why you would be opposed to writing about a show that is as insanely popular as pretty little liars i mean i, I yeah i mean i think it does become just a it seems like you're drawing arbitrary lines well yeah i i would agree i mean i think it does become about demographic concerns and somewhat you know um i don't write for pace so i can't speak to their editorial vision but you know i mean as a magazine that largely covers you know acoustic rock and so on like obviously people who are into that are very into the sort of concepts of authenticity and and masculinity and mm. old-timey things and <laughs> um, you know a particular way of old-timey. of, of yeah. viewing the world yeah. and if suddenly they were covering the show <laughs> about you know this sort of teen horror soap opera thing mm. you know uh, I can see people being like, why would you write about this? I don't take this seriously. And thus I'm no longer going to, you know, it seems like a cred thing to me. Um, I think the concept of cred is, uh, foolish and outdated, but, um, other people would disagree with me. Yeah. So listeners, if you want to see us write in popular magazines about pretty little liars, uh, write to your local Senator and let them know. Um, I, I do want to say that while the Atlantic has not profiled this podcast. They did let me write about Pretty Little Liars a couple years ago, and I'm, I'm very proud of that That's piece. That's right. Uh, so you can Google that, and you will find it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, everyone, thank you for listening so far, and uh, you know, we'll see you next week. And uh, until then, act normal, bitches. I want to say one more thing. Oh, okay. After the sign-off. Oh, I'm man, I just, I just signed off. You just signed off. No, I know. But, <laughs> but one, of the, one of the things that I hope we're doing with this podcast uh, is bringing sort of a level of seriousness and yeah. uh, integrity and analysis to a show that is not, seen, is not typically seen uh, as worthy of it. And mm-hmm. so I do hope that this podcast stands as a sort of like tribute to the the credibility and the intelligence of the show no i i mean i totally agree it's it's strange that you know that we uh want to put so much effort into something that um already has level of popularity but 
still does not have popularity in the way that we hope that it would, I guess. We've talked in the past about how, you know, it's like, do do we ever think the show will be what we hope or what we know it can be? And I think it's a question that we can constantly ask ourselves and that we should ask ourselves every week. That's what you should ask yourselves every week too, listeners. Well, that was, you know, that's why I like the exchange so much between Toby and Spencer and Caleb, where you have these people really torn over like what has become this sort of moral quandary of yeah. like, do I cover my own ass in case it could have something to do with me, which seems unlikely, but they are so they're yeah. at that paranoid level. Or do I trust the system and do I trust my friend and my boyfriend who now is representative of the system yeah. to solve the problem and try to do the right thing and try mm-hmm. to solve the case? Yeah. And it show it says a lot about like their perceptions and how paranoid and warped everything has become for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it shows like the lack the complete lack of trust. And I thought like although I think Caleb was the wrong character to express that idea mm-hmm. um, versus, you know, Hannah or Spencer herself, uh, I thought it was, like, a really important dynamic for the show to make really blunt and really intense. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And I think that, you know, like, to go back to... Um, I'll keep this brief. To go back to uh, something that I've become fascinated with as we've talked about the show, which is the idea that Pretty Little Liars is essentially about the horror of growing up, is that... You know, you have these situations where now, like, the show feels more adult than ever. And the reason it feels more adult is because it's, it's, I mean, it's like, it's like the X-Files. You can't trust anyone. You just, as soon as you feel like there's someone to trust, it's like when, when Spencer is talking to Caleb about, uh, and Caleb, and she realizes that Caleb is going to go find this knife. Right. Um, and she's like, I'm going to go with you. And, and we like, we were like talking while it was happening and we're like, what if Caleb killed Mona? Sure. And it's why, just like, that's not? totally possible. It's, it's not unreasonable at all. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, Spencer, you, can you really trust Caleb? Right. No, you can't. No, not at all. And that doesn't seem to occur to her. And the fact that she's hanging out with, again, the fact that she's just hanging out with her friend's boyfriend for some reason, like, <laughs> just feels super awkward and weird to me. But anyway, uh, I guess maybe we'll find out next week. Yeah, trust no one. Maybe that should be our sign-off from now on. Trust no one, bitches. (laughs) Trust no one, bitches.